Welcome, 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 everyone. You are tuned into The Element here on News Talk Saga 960 AM. And we are your girls, Summon and Grajot, um, bringing everything, talking to you about everything and, and all things. And right now, with we are here with our amazing guest, Lovely Kang. She is an organizer. She is a phenomenal person. She has been working in everything organizing from like the moment that I've known her or heard about her and uh, super excited to have her here because she is such a wise person. She's a coach, a mentor and has done so much amazing work in filmmaking, documentary making and just everything. Like I, I can't even begin to list your accomplishments because I don't know where they would end. Um, but Lovely, oh how are you today? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks for that intro. I guess I never reflected on all of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. That's good. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting. I've never I've watched you guys grow this show from afar. So I'm excited to finally be a guest on this great show. <laughs> We're excited to finally have you here. And you know what? We're excited to have you here to keep it real. And that's what we try to do with um, with our show and with the conversations that we have. And we know that's what you're going to do. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I am going to keep it real, guys. No filter to the audience out there. So prepare to uh, be uncomfortable sometimes. You know what? That's what they do. They say growth lies in being uncomfortable and you have to be uncomfortable. And this comes actually from a conversation. And so... For those of you who don't yeah. know, I know we've talked about it in the past, but last April, Loveline actually started this uh, a series of group chats called Bronte and Politics. And watch out for season two. We'll be talking about it here and advertising it on our page as well. But one of the yeah. conversations that we did have, we had with Dr. Nanki Rai, um, who's a physician in downtown Toronto. And she spoke about something. She was like, you know, growth lies in the uncomfortable. You have to make people feel uncomfortable in order for them to kind of yep. like learn, unlearn, and then move forward. And I think that's a huge part of why we have these conversations the way that we do. And being uncomfortable is not a bad thing. Um, yeah, but- and, and everything in life lies on the other side of discomfort. And if we want to talk about social change and my experience and like what we need is what ends up happening is people aren't willing to give up convenience. And mm-hmm. and convenience in their life, convenience in protesting, convenience in taking action, like the comfort is what ends up and the apathy that comes from comfort is what slows us down as society. People are just unwilling to move beyond, uh, just think like be in discomfort for, okay, how do I describe this? Like when in society we need to move and we're talking about policing today, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when we're talking about policing, people would rather be comfortable in their lives and they're like, that issue doesn't affect me. So why do I have to get uncomfortable in my politics, in what I talk about and how I move through the world? Why do I have to go out there to a protest or call a politician and be uncomfortable when my life is perfectly fine? And that's my, that has been the most annoying, frustrating thing I have found with people of color when I've been trying to talk to them about any issue from tuition fees to voting to police brutality is people are just so comfortable in everything. And they're just like, 
it is so it's disgusting to me it is so disgusting to me how unwilling people are to just sacrifice like one afternoon one phone call even just make an opinion just to have an opinion about something i'm mm. like you're the roof over your head is not going to change like nothing in your life. But what people get, people will just start being like, well, if we start cutting funding from the police, who will take care of the this and the that? We don't know, like we'll figure it out, but it's really not going to affect you actually at all. You are the one that benefits from this and you should lend your support to help the people that these practices have been helping. I know you didn't even ask me a question, but uh, here I am. <laughs> But I feel like it's related. <laughs> but um, just recently, uh, this previous week uh, weekend, I listened to listened in on a conversation by someone that I really looked up to, and this person uh, basically uh, said, and they're a person of color, they're a very prominent figure, was like, you know, I understand that the game of politics is dirty. I understand that it's messy and I don't like it. And I know that there's some decisions to be made and they're not popular, but you know, you have to do it sometimes. And I was sitting there and mm. in this moment, I what lost was that in so much respect. What was the topic? Oh, the topic was just like political activism and like what you, what mm -hmm. you can be doing when you're advocating. Just their complicity when it comes to mm -hmm. like not, um, speaking yes, up on certain things because it's going against their um, platform. Right, yeah. right. And yeah. it's it, just because it affords you comfort. And it's like, you know, I do acknowledge it. I live in the suburbs. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be taken care of. And like, I know that I always have a security net. But just yeah. because I have that doesn't mean that I can, you know, be a, you know, quote unquote, apolitical whenever I want to be. It doesn't mean that yep. I can choose not to engage when I don't want to engage. It means that we consistently yeah. have to continue engaging whenever possible. Yeah. There's other people that are impacted and we have the voice. The thing is, is like, yeah, and that's a great, that's a great point, Thumman, is that it's actually because politics is lived, right? And that's why as people age out of the teens and the 20s, and when people of color like particularly brown people, like as a brown person, it's like, as we start accumulating wealth, as is a function of capitalism and colonization, we separate ourselves from our lived realities or from where we came. And like, I remember mm. I was in university and I was like going to classrooms and I was like, we got to reduce tuition fees. And I was, I was doing all these talks and like thousands of people, like in front of the thousand person lecture halls. And I had a professor come up to me and I, and was just like, you know, when you're young, you think with your heart, but when you get old, you think with your wallet. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, I used to come to all these protests before, but like, now I don't know. And she wasn't gonna let me talk. And I was like, well, how could you, you freaking traitor? Like, how could you give up on us? And, da, 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 da. Yeah. and then slowly I was just like, oh, you, it's cause when we get older and we get more comfort, we're able to separate ourselves from our politics, right? And mm -hmm. as me, as a, a brown woman, I grew up in like uh, very difficult situations. At times I was involved with the policing, with, uh, what's it called? Um, what are they called? CAS, Children's Aid, with the foster system, with the court system, with shelter system, with food banks, with like 
poverty, I know that the systems failed me. It is a miracle that I even got to where I am today because the systems failed me every single step of the way. And I can reflect back and be like, wow, like I was from the suburbs. I was from Mississauga. My dad had a good job. Like there was ways that I was able to like leapfrog around certain things, but so many people don't ever get that opportunity. And politics then becomes a choice. And so every single day, like, it's like a, it's like a, like, you know, like a jacket, you're like today, you wake up and you're like, and I'm keeping my politics on my shoulders at every step of the way. I will not forget where I came from and I will not forget where my friends were from and the people that I love and, and, and walk with that every day, even if it feels inconvenient and, and just uncomfortable for me, right? And so I remember, just like you said, somebody who is currently a politician many years ago told me the same thing. He said, oh, Lavlene, you need to grow up now. Like we don't do this activist thing anymore, blah, blah, blah. Because, and I just turned to him and I said, you know, you can feel that way. Cause now you got a lot of money. You got a, you know, you got your house, you got all this stuff, but my politics is lived. I'm still living it. I'm still trying to figure this out. Like it's still not working in my favor. So that's why often women and queer and trans people are the only ones that are yelling and screaming because when the men politicians find comfort and patriarchy and white supremacy and capitalism work like mm. hand in hand, when they finally get comfort and they get a seat at the table, what business do they care if 50% mm -hmm. of the population is experiencing violence? Because women, I thought about it today, just a little like side tangent, I was like, I realized how hard it is for a single unmarried woman to survive in this world mm. as an adult. I have a very high level of education and it has literally taken me until my 30s to find some decent semblance of stability. And I work harder than anybody. Like Thumman said, the only reason I've been able to do all those things is I work all the time. And so that's patriarchy every single day working. So why would this politician care about anything? You know what I mean? They don't even care about 50% of their population getting 70 cents to the dollar. I that that's such a good point that you make and that's so that's so relevant to like everything that we are seeing right now and when it comes to these protests and these movements and people speaking up and speaking out is because they're living it. It's most it's personal right? Yeah. It takes something to be personal for people to speak up on it. And it does. And if it's not personal, then it's uncomfortable. And if it's uncomfortable, it's not, it doesn't seem worth it enough because we're, we're in this rat race of this, this, of this life. Right. Exactly. And, and I want to bring it to like, we touched on this in the beginning about policing. Now we are living in, in a time where we are getting, where we are experiencing something that um, is completely, completely different than what we could have ever imagined life to be as, right? There's more yeah. rules, more regulations, the pandemic, there's so much going on. And especially just recently now, we went in a lockdown when we're already in a lockdown. Yeah. And the only, which was like, I don't even know how else to put it other than yeah. that, because we were already in a lockdown. But what changed though within this lockdown is the, the, the policing took away from us. Exactly. And 
what we've seen a lot when it comes to these scenarios and actually someone brought this up to me and they were oh my god my little cousin actually crazy 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 history repeats itself it's wild so basically she she was telling me about her history class and and quebec right because i was trying to the flq yeah yes flq that's exactly what i've been talking about marshall I didn't know. So I, I grew up in the States, so I don't know a lot of Canadian history. And I was trying to explain to my cousin before her class, I was saying how this, how these new rules, these new policing yeah. rules essentially is going to affect um, a certain um, individuals. That's not for the majority. It's going to affect people of color more. So it's yeah. going to affect those areas of um, those um, poor economic areas more. So that's where the policing is going to be more. And the crazy thing is she's sitting down and I'm like, so what did you learn in history class today? And she was telling me about when in Quebec, I think this was the seventies when yeah. this happened. Yeah. yeah, it was the seventies and they, um, essentially when there was like that whole separatist movement yeah, they, they did the they same they did, martial law yeah yeah and the same thing happened and what she was saying to me and it's so funny because it was such a teachable moment yeah. because she didn't understand what I was trying to explain to her beforehand and when she was saying it she's like oh yeah if they just she was like essentially my teacher said as you were pretty much guilty unless proven innocent opposed to what we we take laws that you're you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty and she said anybody they just assumed was a um a part of the whole separatist type of like ideology and movement they would just you know take them and throw them in jail and then she was just saying how ridiculous it was and I was like that is exactly what can happen now that's exactly Mm -hmm. the path that we are walking on and I was and I it was such a teachable moment I want please give me your thoughts on this no, I think that's that's exactly what I was going to say, actually. Like, this is a great point that we seem, what I'm seeing in media today is a complete, like, contextual void of what's happening. Like, I find it so shocking that people aren't being like, hmm, like, martial, like, sh- lockdown, extra policing. Isn't this martial law? Aren't these, the? Um, it was called something like the War Measures Act. and Trudeau ironically also right crazy right he was the one that did it and that's actually Mm -hmm. what people when we remember Trudeau's dad I'm like guys like he enacted the war measures act and sent the military into Quebec against the Quebec's like against the will of the people and made people feel unsafe terrorize them and then not only that Grigel is I was at G20 and that was supposed to be the biggest policing blunder. There was, they spent $1 billion on policing for a three-day weekend. Thousands of people were arrested. People are still going into lawsuits from, from that stuff. Um, like it was, and I witnessed it. It was really intimidating. And I'm not gonna lie, like I've been to a lot of protests. And so the day after the lockdown, I didn't even go out of my house. Cause I was like, this is, unchecked power like why would we do that we already know that that's an ineffective way to handle this and you guys are coming off of all of this criticism from George Floyd and everything in the states but to Regis in Toronto to Mr. Ijaz in in Mississauga to Jermaine Carby to Andrew Loku like how like you're you guys are coming off of some bad PR like maybe we should clearly 
this just tells me that the institution of policing and militarization against its citizens is so unwilling to change that they didn't even care about the social media mess and the protests that happened because they literally just hunkered down and did the same thing and then increased their budgets at the same time. Yeah, and there's it's absolutely no they're making trust. it. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yes, go ahead. But, but it's also the lack of trust that they have with everyone, right? So like, you know, a premier dad, quote unquote, as everyone calls Mr. Dougie, um, uses terms like, oh, you know, use your best judgment. The rules are unclear of what we need to be doing. And I understand one point yeah. where people are like, we need it to be enforced. We need it to be enforced. But there's such a big fallacy within that. The fallacy is the fact that you are assuming people, the cases are going up because people are meeting up with other people. You are not looking at yeah. the fact that a lot, you're placing a lot of it on as individual responsibility and not state and responsibility. responsibility. Whereas like, you know, paid, yeah. paid sick leave. Uh, child care mm. there's certain things that need to be implemented by the government itself in order to avoid this being more stricter with corporations that can actually mm-hmm. have people right now the entire offices there's offices that are still open there's places jobs that can be done yep. that are still being done and what is essential like what if i'm if i'm to go out what i what do i need to be checked for and i think that there are, are companies Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But okay. you you mentioned something and I just wanted to say there are companies and I will not say whom. There are companies that don't allow their employees to work from home because their hourly basis when they can do their job from home because they don't have that type of surveillance in order to ensure that they are working the whole time. 1000%. And that both of those things are completely linked, right? It's like you said, a trust. Our employees, employers don't trust employees uh, and the government, the authority doesn't trust the working people. But the thing is, is like, we don't trust you. If we trusted you to look out for us, we would be doing it. And that's what people talked about is actually in the first three months of the pandemic, we all took it very seriously. Everybody was looking out for the collective good, but we don't Mm. trust you anymore. And if, if the collective consciousness is no longer trusting of the person in charge who said they would have this shit handled, then they're gonna do whatever makes them feel sane right now in this Mm. time of like so much grief and uncertainty. So actually what would make people feel safe is not the police as always, is never the police. It's like a real acknowledgement of the harm and like a real trust in like the plan and and a clarity of what are we all agreeing to and then a commitment Mm -hmm. towards that. Like guys, it's like, for group facilitation 101 like you know what I mean like Doug Ford get it together like you know do you need a do we need to hire you a facilitator or something come up with some community guidelines like I don't understand like and the thing is how can we expect more from the conservatives who mm-hmm. are who were elected to prioritize profit over people like that's mm. literally what they're doing and so when they're policing they're not policing people's health they're policing like mitigating risk so they can keep the economy running right like yeah if people can just go to work then we can keep making money and yeah. doug ford's ceo friends won't get mad at him for his friends not coming to work so mm. they're just policing making sure you're not going and doing uh like you said them and like having parties 
But if you look at the research that somebody, a friend of mine actually sent me, that all of the cases, majority of the cases are coming from like long-term care homes and factories. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people who worked at long-term care homes had their own hotels. They were able to quarantine. They had shuttle buses. They yep. were able to contain that spread. And if people from factories could just stay home, like bum, 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 Brampton, then we would not have the kind of outbreaks we're having in Brampton as well. So like we were talking about, workplaces are expected individually to comply to rules, rules as it is. Like every single workplace doesn't respect rules around breaks, around like especially contract workers, underpaid workers, low-skilled workers in factories. A lot of factories? Oh, I'm so sorry. No, I think you're going to say exactly what I was going to say. So go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say a lot of factories have found loopholes within this uh, exactly. essential, essential items thing. So like, I, I know this, I know this, I know this all too well. So yeah, they will. I, I, all of our families, for sure, I'm sure. So uh, these factories like will sell very like, I will say like, one percent i am i'm literally putting it at one percent of essential item which they need to stay open and then this is how the supply chain has found its loophole within this and then 99 percent is all unnecessary product that we as consumers are buying because nobody knows what to do with themselves and hence we're shipping and putting people's lives at risk due to that it's it's ridiculous yeah and it's bigger it's bigger than that right it's like that because yes like there's factories open a friend of mine's like pool parts her dad works at a pool parts factory but it's it's actually so that the elite who we have always been helping build up their wealth like doug ford and his friends are able to access what they need to keep their quality of life going like and if you look at the demographics the income demographics and the geographical demographics you put that map on top of each other and you will see that it is only impacting low income low middle income people of color that's it that is only people it's impacting. So how can we expect the politicians and speaking about lived politics earlier and talking about that representation doesn't isn't resistance is that how can we expect all of these politicians we elect every year who now as politicians make over like $150,000 a year um, but always were rich to even know what to do. They don't actually mm. even know how the rest of us live. Like the fact that Justin Trudeau was surprised by how many people were on contract employment in March should have told us how out of touch they are. Like when it took them so long to launch CERB it's be- and, and even free student loan payments, they had no mm. idea that students were overburdened with debt, even though like we've been telling them for the last 15 years that students are overburdened with debt, that over the last 10 years, there's been an increase in um, personal personal debts and loans. These politicians, the policing, all of it is is only to keep the economy running and the rest of us are collateral damage. Yeah. And I feel the exact same way. I feel like that that's something that has been occurring and it's reoccurring. And we see it over and over again with the policies and the fact that they refuse to close some businesses. They refuse to act uh, through and act fully, even though that they have received 
public health like they have the reports in front of them for any decision that is put forth to them um i feel like the media also helps with this in creating this narrative that like oh it's just a bunch of radical hippies that are going yeah. out there and asking for 15 you know dollar raise or asking yeah. for paid sick leave or asking for x well, y and z well the media the people who own the media are oh, two so companies in the country yeah mm. yeah and like and bell and, and rogers and loblaws and loblaws is like the biggest um the biggest uh <clears throat> like retailer in and commercial advertiser on so many of these platforms he will never galen weston will never want to give his employees 15 dollars an hour like he's been fighting that for years yeah. and sick day these are the same ceos that would fight this stuff so of course like them and their friends are gonna be like don't promote this we don't want you to promote this and 15 and it's crazy living wage no. Um, dude in other countries um, i don't know what country this was um they they don't even have a whole thing over sick days like uh somewhere in europe where they, uh my my cousin went and got a job and they were like oh i can't remember who's telling me this no no they, they asked just, they can just take days off yeah yeah they're like how many sick days we get and they didn't even understand the question they're like what do you mean when you're sick you go stay home <laughs> like it wasn't even a thing yeah mm. and i think what this pandemic i hope is showing people is that we don't canada in i think the canadian myth has been that we're better than the states because we have public health care but we're only like a little bit like a centimeter above the states because they have since socialized healthcare got started by tommy douglas way back when it has it was only supported in funding for a little while ever since then especially since paul mulroney in the 80s there has been an extreme, like every single time they like etch away at public health. And whenever I would be out there being like, guys are cutting it. Oh no, it's good enough. We're better than the States. We're better than the States. Emergency lines increasing, Bremley Health, Bremley Hospital, people dying, like surgery wait list. People are like, whatever, at least we're better than the States. But it's like, at, do you guys see what the States is? At this point, literally anything is better than the States. And like, why are we, com we should be comparing mm -hmm. ourselves like New Zealand, New Zealand is having concerts right now. Yeah. And, yeah. and I also want to point out that this is what happens when you have leadership, women's leadership, number one, and, and the leadership of a progressive mandate that prioritizes, and they changed their index of measuring success before the pandemic from economics to happiness. Mm -hmm. And so this is what we need as a society is to shift the way we think about our values as a country and like actually fight for something not just say we're better than the us like we should be like hey no we are a country that prioritizes general well-being and actually we've seen it proven that in new zealand in six months they basically eradicated covid yeah and we over because they didn't they shut down they did not prioritize profit over people and if this, what we're seeing in the pandemic is what a society focused on profit and the bottom line and cutting funding from the most vulnerable people does, it actually puts the entire society at risk. And we've been making policy upside down. Instead of making policy for the majority of people, we should actually be making it for the most vulnerable of people, including the people who get targeted for policing and surveillance then we create a tolerant society. We don't have a tolerant society, okay. despite what the multiculturalist 
myth this you know we don't have a society that has equality we have a society this pandemic has shown with deep segregation which places got the policing like you said it's like morningside park where it's like heavily dense like people of color and families scarborough bluffs where there's like literally those are the two big parks in those areas mm. meanwhile i would go down to the beaches and there's thousands of people trinity bellwoods thousands of people they literally went and pooed in people's front yards and nothing happened and then it's and like the wally me- e yeah. and Mm -hmm. No, that takes me back to like the idea of policing the entire um, there's been reports. So there's policingthepandemic.ca, which was uh, launched uh, April 4th, 2020 uh, to track and visualize the massive uh, and extraordinary expansions of police power in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And then there was also reports that from uh, April 1st to June 15th, Canadians were randomly like uh, roughly handed $13 million in fines related to COVID-19, most of them being Quebec, with I think it was like 70-something percent. Um, but that being said, a lot of it, a lot of the information has been found, even a report that Vice wrote about was mostly mm-hmm. uh, Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And uh, we saw it here, and you mentioned Trinity Bellwoods, where you had literally white people pooing and like you know doing their private stuff in in people's lawns versus you know in Brampton and they were out there for hours yeah yeah they were out there for hours at Trinidad it's not like they showed up and hung out for five minutes yeah they it grew throughout the day throughout the weekend it was happening all the time and yeah and so it's like but a car rally like this is only hyper like extenuating who were targets anyways all the time and like who the police and the government um, read as threats and read as disobedient. And this is what we should be seeing. We shouldn't be seeing the pandemic in this front level, right? What the media is showing us. We should actually see what it's amplifying. It's a magnifying glass. What, who does policing serve? Who does our healthcare serve? Is it serving anybody? Like the reason we're failing on this pandemic is because all of our hospitals were already at 100% capacity before this pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And so if we had actually diverted the billion dollars of funding, even a quarter of it, and just said, fuck it, we're just gonna, sorry, we're just gonna build some hospitals right now. Like, why are we policing more? We should be providing services and daycare and Mm -hmm. and doing all of these things that'll make it easier and sick days. That's the other thing about sick days too, is like the police get sick days. They get lots of sick days. The police get lots of health insurance benefits. So why aren't those, why aren't those extended to the people who are, are keeping the economy going? And I even hate the term essential worker. Mm-hmm. I hate the term essential service. Because if you look in that list of little beebs and boobs, and this is the problem with policing and surveillance and FLQ War Measures Act, and where we have to be really concerned is when they start going into our rights, they can just add and, and drop and take whatever they want out of it, you know? And it, it as soon as we open the door, they can do whatever they want. That's, the, and with me, they don't, and people are always like, Laveline, it's not that big of a deal. It's, it's just, it's not that, it's just for right now. It's, just, I'm like, if you see what's happening in Punjab, to see what's happening in Ferguson, to look at Toronto G20, we have enough precedents to know 
and FLQ in the 70s, we have enough precedents to know that the police does not look out for us when it mm-hmm. comes down. I actually want to, if you guys don't mind, on that note, since you mentioned Punjab real quick, I just, I just want to bring this up because I don't know how much time we have and I really, really want to touch on this. So me and Thumman actually, we, we, we talked about this just recently. And so I had a, I had someone that kind of was basically saying their frustration with the individuals that the, they were advocacy shaming. So essentially they were feeling some type of way because activists that are speaking up for the farmers protests haven't spoke up for other protests. And thus they themselves are upset about it, triggered about it, and then not really saying anything. So I just want to, I want to read something that I wrote and I want to get your thoughts on this because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh, I was, I felt some type of way. So I've noticed my activist family feeling some type of way about the farmers protest. They are happy that those speaking up for that protest haven't spoke up for others. Those of you that are triggered by this, I implore you to reflect. Does the voice of someone's activism dictate your voice? Does that mean that the movement isn't legit? Does that mean those people that are outside in the cold fighting for their rights do not deserve your voice or your sympathy? Frankly, I'm disappointed in those friends of mine that have shaped their identity around activism yet are silent now. You have let your ego dictate your voice. You should know more than anyone that every voice matters. How can you possibly be silent? And this is what we are seeing. And I am noticing with, and I'm not just calling out everyone. I'm calling out my friends that are activists. Their identity is activism. Mm-hmm. Yet they all feel some type of way now because this is Punjabi. People hate Punjabis for some reason that aren't Punjabi. Yes. And I it's mean, they, I'm, I'm sure they have a lot of reason to have that some type of feelings, but people really don't like us. And the fact Wait, that... Was this person South Asian? No, they were not. Okay. okay. They yeah. were Middle Eastern, I believe. Yeah, yeah they were not. But I know other um, friends of mine that are activists that aren't South Asian and those that are South Asian um, that that aren't Punjabi because they think it's a Punjabi movement for something because there's more since the Haryana and Punjab are at the borders and there's a lot of Punjabi people speaking up for it. Um, they're triggered by it because they're like, oh, well, they didn't speak up. And I understand. Don't get me wrong. Like, I understand, like, being upset. Right. But maybe some people are their activism is triggered by something personal if you consider yourself your identity like a a person a voice for the people you don't want to give this movement any voice or any platform or speak on it at all because you're triggered about the people that are speaking up for it what yeah please I think think what I would say is that there's two distinct there's two things happening there right in one way they're they're correct right they're entirely correct that South Asians do not show mm-hmm. up ever. We do not show up for anything. And I actually would agree because I was really disappointed and actually almost ashamed that for BLM, Punjabis could not show out for one second. Not I even agree. one second. And I was disgusted that in minutes, if we needed to, we were able to do a car rally for a thousand people with during the pandemic. We just didn't care about people being killed by the police in Canada. 
But when it starts happening to us over there, this comes back to our beginning of the conversation that the personal is political. And so I can understand, especially if somebody's Middle Eastern and the Palestinian movement, that like people get frustrated with Punjabis and South Asians mm-hmm. accumulated so much wealth and so much political power that whenever we do our activism, it's very self-serving. That, but that does not negate from the fact that there is a very real human rights issue happening right now in Punjab. So it's like, Mm -hmm. there's two conversations. There is Mm -hmm. one about solidarity between communities and how we show up and let, let, yes, let's have that conversation. But you are also correct in saying, and I noticed it today too, because sick activism, people don't want to touch it because we have been trained in people's eyes to be terrorists and extremists Mm -hmm. by by thesis, by the Canadian media, by the Canadian government, and every time, and Indian governments. So anytime there is protest movements, and and, and you're right, right? Like how, where do we, why is it not extending that way too? Like, why are we not able to extend? Why are our human rights not relevant in this moment? And it's because of how we're perceived as these Mm -hmm. non-English speaking immigrants that are are always like not safe like we're very dangerous and the same thing happened to muslims after 9 11 right Mm -hmm. like nobody stood up against the war in iraq nobody stood up against the war in afghanistan and and people and Mm -hmm. people in the the islam and the guan kids in guantanamo bay from canada omar khadr in in fucking in guantanamo bay as a child and he was a canadian citizen and so now we're trying to be like hey, hey, look over there. There's stuff happening over there. And we're also looking around being like, why is nobody standing with us? It's because this is what this country teaches us to do is to separate Mm -hmm. our politics from each other and make it about identity politics instead of like a global political consciousness about the things Mm -hmm. that are wrong. Policing is wrong everywhere. Um, Sustainable farming is important everywhere. Protect your farmers in Ontario and protect your farmers in Punjab. Like these, these are the linkages. This is the job now of us activists and advocates and people who work here to not let this divide and conquer mentality to separate Mm -hmm. us, the the identity politics to separate us and to understand that everything that is happening right now is of a global system of neoliberalism and Mm neocolonialism. And we are just little ants fighting each other when they're gonna keep doing the same thing everywhere all the time and we need if you're a farmer's rights activist farmer's rights activist you know what i mean and so yeah but that means that the far the people here the thousands of people that show up for the kasan rallies better show up when the indigenous people are protecting wetsuwet territory mm-hmm. and the pipelines and the trains and we really do need to start asking ourselves what that means and if these protests these kasan protests here i'm not talking about over there here if they're safe for women if they're safe for queer and trans people if they're safe for non-juts if they're safe for people who are international students like are we even giving space to undocumented Punjabis and new immigrant Punjabis who literally still have to go back there and live with the reality of the destruction that has been caused in Punjab by our consumption in the first world. Like our countries 
our national policy in Canada directly influences what's happening in Punjab. And me and Thuman have talked about it. So if people here really care about what's happening in Punjab, we should actually be calling our politicians, all of our brown politicians, all across the country, because Punjabi is the third spoken language in the House of Commons. Punjabis have more power in Canada than we do in India. And so when we do these car rallies and why other uh, other communities get mad at us is because we have consolidated power. We have ministers in every party. We have MPs, MPPs and premiers and we're asking other people for help when our community has been subjugating them across this country. Like this is like, this is what we as South Asians need to really reflect on about when they came for us, where we're people, right? Sorry, Thumbin and I both have something that we want to say on what you said. You said one thing about how we're painted as terrorists. And you know what? I think that's seen so much more now than it ever has been before. And I think that's because of that Canadian terrorism report. Because the individual I was speaking to mentioned something without saying it, kind of jumped around the bush on it, that essentially that this is going to turn into like a Khalistani movement. And, you know, I don't even think they probably even knew about that or that term or that like ideology or that thinking before these recent uh, couple of years. And, and that's because it was brought into the frame of mind. And I agree with completely everything that you said. Like, you know what? Those that are showing up now, they have to show up for everything. And I agree. I completely agree. And, you know, it's it's insane because it shouldn't be such a divide you know when it comes when you're speaking up for humanitarian rights at the end of the day it's humanitarian rights of the human people like of us of the people of this earth and we deserve this voice and it's so it's so sad it's so so sad because the divide is created by individuals that don't even care we're the ones that are divided that are literally divided, yet the the ones that are making those lines and that are putting our in those boxes and their silos are the people that aren't even affected at all whatsoever. Thumbin, I know you wanted to say something. Yeah. Go on. And I, I wanted to speak on, you spoke about people that don't have any status and, you know, showing up at these protests and these protests being safe here. Uh, I do want to say the first protest, the, the largest rally that had occurred, well, not the largest, there have been many more large rallies, but the one of the first protests that I went to, the biggest car rally that I went to at the beginning, um, it was organized by young people, which I loved. And after the fact, I go to this protest, I come back, and then I realized they had included a politician in there that had allegations against it. And I felt disgusted mm. because that made it unsafe for women. And then on top of that, the people that have the most recent experience are, you know, folks that have come here seeking asylum. It's folks that are international students who still have families back home. Of course, they're going to want to advocate. But every time I've gone to these, I rarely see them there. And when I see them, they're not at the forefront, whereas they should be. And we should be there creating a barrier for them because we realize their stories. Yeah. And realizing that because they don't have status, we need to be that barrier and learn from that, you know, being there for, for them and then taking that and translating it to like a BLM protest, right? Not just going there, running down two blocks and then, you know, talking to the news. Um, but we need to be there on the front lines, linking a change chain and being that protective barrier uh, yes. for people because that are people, more vulnerable than us. Even our own community is unwilling to yeah. get comfortable for what they need to do. Because our politicians, if anybody remembers, when like 
when Moldy got elected, there was a lot of six here supporting him. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of NRIs yeah. in our community that vote in Punjab and India elections, okay? When the Badals were doing their elections, they did conventions here. Our community is deeply linked with what's happening today. And we are not taking any accountability mm-hmm. for the power plays that are happening. And instead, we're seeing a movement of machismo, but not real like building solidarity between the people who like the students, like if we really like really thinking about the farmers in Punjab, we would be thinking about the Uber Eats driver who is probably sending money back home right now and is literally Mm. stressed about his family. If we cared about what was happening in Punjab, we would make sure that the kids of those grandparents and grandkids who are here studying have sick days, right? Wouldn't that be connected? If we cared about what was happening in Punjab, we would care about the migrant workers right now in the farms in Ontario, picking and getting Corona to feed us. Even how they get to Canada, even their their process to get here. I've read a couple of reports that if they're in Mexico and they're trying to come here and they're from the villages, they actually have to travel to the cities where which are the epicenters Very of deep. the virus to yeah. get a test done 72 hours before they fly out and it costs them money and yeah. so it's costing them more and if and they the- get sick they get sent home yeah and the first outbreaks um in the first wave were at these migrant farms were at yeah. in migrant in the greenhouses homes. and the farms yeah yeah like in in what windsor and you know southern ontario that's a huge that's a huge point that we need to talk on if we're for farmers we need to be for all farmers and it's not just farmers it's kisan majdur right so it's farmers and laborers right and yeah if the program and if the what's happening in india right now it is not just a job movement movement it is an it is not movement and we need to bring that here and we need mm-hmm. to acknowledge that we're not just for farmers. We are for laborers as well. We can't just go around carrying signs with, I'm the daughter of a farmer. We need to be like, all, first mm-hmm. of all, that doesn't even like cover anything. Me saying, I'm a daughter of a farmer. Okay, cool. I'm the daughter of a truck driver. What does that accomplish, right? You're not standing for anything. You're just stating the, a fact. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're right, right? Like we need to, we need to bring that conversation of anti-casteism here, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And who's leading the protests here guaranteed are juts. Yeah. yeah. And, and the problem too, and, and this is not the conversation we were having, but the other problem is, is that if we're talking about landless laborers, yeah, juts here and people who own land here, the very land up and up and job or boistering da, 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 is the very land they're annoyed about. They can't make any money off of because they're basically sharecropping. They're working, they, the, the people of lower caste or not like just people who are of that are forced to work as landless laborers mm-hmm. from different places are the ones leading the movements. They're mm-hmm. the ones saying that they're being starved because they're working for people who are taking profit off of them. Mm-hmm. Who are these people? Our people who are sending money back home and b- making mahals that nobody lives in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we that's need to so challenge true. Our anti-capital. We need to challenge our capitalist mentality of owning property in a place we don't even have to. Like, I get it. I'm also very proud of being Punjabi, and the hardest thing for me to realize in my politic 
is that if I believed in indigenous sovereignty, sovereignty and anti-capitalism and challenging property ownership because land belongs to everybody. And if I really believed Punjab was the equitable place that it needed to be, there would not be landowners who do not live there. Yeah. Like um, that is literally what like and I, and that's also why I step back from Punjab movement organizing because movements rise from the places like they are met by the lived experiences of those people and even though I may be Punjabi I am not impacted by their lived realities because I have a place to be safe I don't I'm not gonna live there forever that is not my home I love it with all my heart it is my motherland I am a diasporic Punjabi that has been like cut away from my motherland because of capitalism and colonization and nothing will change that but I do not live in that reality and our job is not to identify with them our job is to uplift their voices like we should for every movement as people mm -hmm. and we need to take leadership from them and that's the whole problem with the past movements is that whenever people leave the diaspora out here thinks we know what's better from back home than mm. the people from back home know what they need and that movement is progressive that movement is radical that movement is led by landless laborers that movement is led by women that movement mm -hmm. is, led, is spiritually grounded and is talking about redistribution of wealth that movement is anti-capitalist mm -hmm. we need to actually listen to what they're saying and read what they're saying and get in the same mentality as them and start shutting down some highways out here but driving around in cars just makes us feel good it doesn't it's not going to sustain the momentum we need to get uncomfortable and just like with the police call our politicians make sure they don't get elected again tell like call our conservative government that love to come and shake our hands with us and ask us what they're gonna do call justin trudeau who goes in brown face and wears a turban and say now what are you gonna do where are you gonna go focus your power here where we actually have power and not do things that are just feel good actions. Yeah. Yo, Lavleen, you you have a way with words. Let me tell you, you have a way with words, and you are you are moving me right now. I'm like, <laughs> all right, let's do something. I hope those people that listen today's to the to our conversation today. I hope this gives like a spark. Uh, within them that it will create a catalyst that a domino effect of um, we have it all sitting within us right we have that voice we have that humanity within us and we are all meant to be here for each other we're all interconnected right exactly. and you made so many points so many points on such a big broad um uh spectrum in the sense that how everything everything is so interconnected and it's not a personal battle it's a collective battle and yo i'm listen let's get a mic let's get a stage then let's put you on stage bro because i've like, been on many stages, amazing. Many stages You're amazing. Whole life. <laughs> uh, but thank you for being here with us we really appreciated this conversation and we hope that a lot of folks had things to take away from it you guys can hit us up on the element and lovelyne uh, do you want to share your socials? You also don't have to. I mean, it's at the moment is at Loveleen, L-O-V-E-L-E-N dot K-A-Y. And it's private because of 
wild people who like to send me messages that I don't like. So DM me if you want to actually get me to follow you and <laughs> say you met me through the element or whatever. But thank you so much for having me and listening to my wild pandemic rants. And <laughs> I'm glad it helped and served some purpose. No, it it did. Um, I think that I learned like an whole every time I talk to you I, I feel like I learned something else in another angle to how it is and uh, I just loved what you added on at the end because I think it's really important mm, to recognize slavers and the way that we actually place our movements and like you know how we kind of contribute to anti-capitalism and I've been saying and I know that we have to wrap up but I've been saying that we ourselves the only reason I think most of the reasons why a lot of young obviously because like up and up and job like that entire feeling um that associated with it right we're very connected to it are very connected to it um yes but then there's also this one portion it's like a lot of us are invested because we are financially invested and we and that is why Mm -hmm. that is our that is what is happening right now the reason we're hurt is not because we see people on the ground but because it's impacting our our inheritance and that that's what i see with a lot of people it's like it's their inheritance being impacted and so that's why they're so upset that's why they're so angry that's why they're all up in arms mm. compared to actually who, and, the, the, and the thing is is like a long time ago i had to give up the fact that living here means that like when my father dies Am I really going to go there and take care of that land and fight the Indian bureaucracy? Am I really going to do that? Mm -hmm. Like, let's think logically. What purpose does it serve? I want that land. Of course I want that land. But I'm looking at like the billion people living in poverty in India. Like, what do I gain out of having these things? I have already Mm -hmm. gone and built my life. If anything, what we should hold dear is the culture and the values of Punjab and the way we show up for each other, the rich history we have, mm-hmm. social movement building, in toppling regimes, in arts and culture, in collectivist supports. Like, why? What are we connected to? What are we carrying forward if it's just land? We need to think two, three generations ahead. Everybody can't do a hisa, 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 hisa down to what? If anything, we should be protecting that land from Walmart, who just destroyed Amritsar. We should be protecting that land from McCain, who's going in there buying up land from poor farmers. We should be protecting that land by protecting farmers that have been committing suicide for decades. Decades because they're taking loans from people like our families who give out loans. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is what we need to be thinking about is how beyond the moment of the pandemic, of the policing, of the surveillance, how we are all part of the problem. Every single one of us, it does not matter, like, because we are all in a capitalist system. Then we just got to figure out where do I have the power? How much power do I have? What do I have control over? And every one of us in Canada has control over our politicians and how much noise we make with them. And Every brown person in Canada, if you live in Brampton or the GTA, literally has a very strong responsibility that every single time any other community asks for their politicians to do anything and speak out, we should be on, we should be the first ones calling up our people and being like, hey, they the Okay, now like let's talk about what you're voting on. 
Yeah. Like that is our responsibility. I We are not helpless in this country. I am tired. We are no longer the oppressed in this country in the same way we were 40, 30, or even 20 years ago when I was mm-hmm. coming up. It's not the same. When we have a minister of defense that looks like us, are we really like, are our, our people kill people around the world now? So- yeah, Oh my God. Yeah. Damn, mic drop, mic <laughs> literally. Guys, um, let that sink in. Let that sink in for those that are listening. You've definitely given me a lot to think of as well um, and looked at things at a perspective that I may not have even, that may have not even even looked at. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate you for that. I know you were trying to close and I just went on another rant, but. <laughs> no, no, this is going to. Uh, I love it because you dropped gem, you dropped gems throughout, and I think that I hope that people have something to take away from this because I clearly did. Um, but on that note, Loveline, thank you for joining us. Kujo, thank you for being here. We are the element here on News Talk Saga 960 AM, and we are out.